This morning we're beginning a brand new sermon series entitled Christ Before Christmas. Christ Before Christmas. And the message is the conquering Jesus. The conquering Jesus. Genesis 3, verse 15. And the Lord makes a prophecy to Adam and to Eve, to the devil, and to all who will follow. He says in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Our world is an evil world. It's becoming increasingly more evil each and every day. Our world is a world of darkness and depravity and destruction and death. Every day you turn your television set on and there's another atrocity. You turn your radio on and there's another act of craziness. You read your newspaper, and there's another violent episode somewhere in our country or our world. And we ask the questions, why? Why would a crazed gunman slaughter hundreds of people after a concert in Las Vegas? Why? Why would some Looney Tune terrorist murder hundreds of worshipers in a mosque in Egypt? Why? Why would some madman shoot to death men and women and even children and babies in a church in Texas? Why? And I could go on and on and on. Why? We cry out for the answers, but the answers are all gone. Where did they go, Lord? Tell us, where did they go? Why, why, why? May I suggest to you this morning the answer to those questions are found in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is a pivotal chapter in the Bible. And if you will understand what is going to take place in Genesis 3, you will understand the answers to all of the questions I just asked. You'll understand what's going on in this world, and you will understand where this world is going. Now, I know some of you are thinking, because you're a smart group, Pastor What in the world does this have to do with Christmas? Pastor, don't you understand Christmas is 29 days away? And you're talking about Genesis chapter 3. Shouldn't you be talking about Matthew chapter 2 and 3? Shouldn't you be talking about the first chapters in the book of Luke, the first chapters in the book of John? 
Pastor, what has this got to do with Christmas? Listen to me. It has everything to do with Christmas. Because before our Lord came, that first Christmas to Bethlehem, He already had come. He already had come in the Old Testament to people, places, and things that were transpiring years before Bethlehem. You see, some of us got the idea that Jesus just came into, came into it all at Bethlehem. No. Before Bethlehem, the Son of Man was the Son of God. The second Adam was the second member of the Holy Trinity. Do you understand? Get it down big, plain, and straight. Jesus has always been. He shall always be. At Bethlehem, God became a man. But Jesus was God long before he ever became a man. Now in Genesis chapter 3, I want us to think about some things. And I want you to, to hang with me. Because this is a thinking man's message today. Okay? Some of us think that the only reason God gave us a head was to put a hat on. That's not true. God gave us a head to think, and so I'm going to make you think a little bit, and I promise you, if you hang with me, I'll wrap it all up together, and you'll walk out of here understanding what's going on today. 29 days away from Christmas. Now let me set the scene for you. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we have the creation story. And God has created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are not an accident. They're not a coincidence. They're not a chance. They're not fate. They're not luck. They're not some evolutionary thing. The God of heaven is a creator God, and he deemed that he wanted a man, and he created a man. He deemed he wanted a woman. He created a woman. God created Adam and Eve. And he placed them in a paradise. Everything they would ever need, everything they would ever want, everything they would ever dream of, God provided for them in this place called paradise. They were perfect people and they lived in a perfect place until they chose to do something. God said, you can do anything you want to do, but I forbid you. I, I restrict you. I'm telling you, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree is off limits. Do not eat of that tree, but you can eat of every other tree. You can enjoy every single thing that's in this world. It's all yours but that tree and that fruit. Well, that Warning of God leads us into Genesis chapter 3. Now I want you to keep your Bibles open because time is not going to permit me to read all the scriptures, but you can read them with your eyes while I'm talking. I'm going to ask you to multitask. I'm going to ask you to listen to me while you're reading with your eyes. Okay? See how well coordinated you are. All right, very quickly, the first five verses of Genesis chapter 3. 
We're introduced to the word Satan is what I want to use. Satan makes his appearance in the first five verses of Genesis chapter 3. Jesus said of Satan, he's a liar and he's a murderer. If you want to know Satan's modus in my operandi, he is a liar and he's a murderer. He deceives people that he might destroy people. And Satan, in the guise of a serpent, comes to Eve. She is by herself. She is alone. Adam is not with her. And the serpent, which is the devil himself, disguised, begins to have a conversation with Eve. And essentially, he says to Eve two things. Number one, the word of God is not necessarily true. And the character of God that you perceive is not necessarily true either. The serpent casts doubt on the Bible, the word of God, and he casts doubt on God himself, the character of God. What Satan says to Eve is essentially this. God is holding you down and God is holding you back. God doesn't want you to have what he has. He doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't have your best interest in mind, Eve. God's a party pooper. God's a tyrant. Break out of his chains. Set yourself free. You can be like him. By the way, Satan is still a liar today. And he lies to the human race that he can destroy us. Verse 6 tells us, sadly, that Eve listened to the serpent, Satan. She believed that what God said, God didn't really mean if he said it at all. She believed that God's character was questionable. His integrity was shaky. That maybe God really didn't have her best interests in mind. Maybe God was holding her down. Maybe God was holding her and Adam back. And so Eve got her husband Adam. They went to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they eat of the forbidden fruit. This act of disobedience by Adam and Eve brought a disease into the world called sin. The planet was infested and infected with sin. Everything in this world began to die. The animal life began to die as they too were infested and infected with sin. And Adam and Eve, though it would be years before they would actually die, they begin to die physically, mentally, emotionally. Death was coming to the world. And it all became because of sin. Sin. Sin is a disease, and the wages of that disease is what? Death. Verse 7 from Satan to sin, we go to shame. Adam and Eve, when they eat 
of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, immediately they know that they have done what God asked them not to do. They have broken the word of God. They have disobeyed the law of God. And now they're shameful about it. They have a guilty conscience about it. They're eat up with, with guilt. They're consumed with shame. And they get the idea that somehow, some way, if they will just put clothes on their naked bodies, they can hide their guilt and shame. And so in verse 7, they, they put on clothes. Adam and Eve never wore clothes before. They didn't, they didn't have nothing to hide from each other or from God. But now they're going to hide from God and even hide from themselves the guilt and the shame of what they've done. Ladies and gentlemen, we're introduced to the first cover-up. You thought Richard Nixon was the first to cover up. You thought President uh, Clinton was the first to cover up. They were minor cover-uppers. Adam and Eve, they tried to cover up what they've done. They thought somehow if they put on clothes, God wouldn't see their guilt. God wouldn't see their shame. Nobody else would. And we haven't changed, have we? Instead of confessing up, we cover up. We sparse our words. We make excuses. We blame somebody else. We always have a reason. We always have a defense. We always have a denial. Wasn't me. And then we go from shame to separation. Look at verse 8. You looking at your Bible? Not only do Adam and Eve cover themselves up to hide the guilt and the shame of what they've done, They leave the presence of God himself. They go hide in the bushes, it says in verse 8. Because they knew that God was going to come as he did every single day. Do you know God used to come and he used to have a conversation with Adam and Eve? Maybe even hold, held their hands as they would walk through the garden. And they'd have conversations. God would talk with them and walk with them. There was sweetness in the relationship, in the fellowship. There was intimacy. And now Adam and Eve know that God's coming, so not only do they put clothes on themselves to hide their guilt and shame from God, they go hide in the bushes. They don't want God to see them. They don't want God to find them. They're going to hide from God. We're still separated from God today by our sin, aren't we? We don't want to see God because we're so ashamed of the way we think and feel and talk and act and live. Well, it came from Adam and Eve. Verse 9, we see seeking. We see God comes indeed looking for them. Can you picture God walking through the paradise, through the garden, and he, he calls out, Adam, Eve, where are you? And they don't answer. He looks for them, but he does not see them. Why? They're hiding from him. They don't want to be around God. 
their shame, their guilt. They've disobeyed. They're hoping God will just go away and never come back. But yet God doesn't do that, does He? God came looking for them. God came calling them. God didn't come to hurt them. God came to reconcile Himself to them. He didn't come to punish them. He come to forgive them if they would just reach out to His call. Think of the Gospel song. And we would not come to where Jesus was. He what? He came to us. He came to them. He was seeking them. They weren't seeking Him. They were hiding from Him. But He sought them. Verse 10 through 13. I think that describes the squirming that took place when God found them. By the way, God already knew what they did. He already knew that they were dressed in a covering to hide their guilt and shame. He already knew what they did. He already knew why they did it. He already knew all of that. He actually even knew where they were at. Finally, they come out and God asks them, why did you do what you did? And this begins the squirming. You ever been in the hot seat before when you did something and somebody's asking you questions about it and you're kind of doing the chubby checker in the seat? Man, you're squirming. God says to Eve, why, why did you do this? And she said, Lord, I normally wouldn't have done this, but this husband Adam you gave me, he, he left me alone. He hasn't been spending time with me. He hasn't been conversing with me. He should have been with me. It's his fault. Eve threw Adam under the bus. And with tired tracks from his head to his toes, God looks at Adam and says, Adam, why did you do this? And Adam says, Lord, I wouldn't have normally done this either. That woman you gave me, she's the one who did it all. I was there working hard, trying to make a, providing for us a little bit. And she slips off and goes has a conversation with some serpent. And she listens to him. And then she comes and gets me involved in it. Lord, I didn't have anything to do with it. I was an innocent bystander, just kind of pulled into it. Lord, it ain't my fault. <laughs> that, 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 little, that serpent on the ground, it's his fault. He's the one that caused it all. Why are you asking me? And then the Lord looks down at the serpent. The serpent can't say a word because he don't have a leg to stand on. There was some squirming as the cover-up now is to the blame game. Verses 16 through 19, very quickly, there's a sentence. Adam and Eve now must face the consequences of their sin, their act of disobedience. You don't ever hear anything else I say, understand that if you play with sin, 
there is a payday for that sin. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next week. But it will come as surely as night follows day. Judgment follows sin. And God pronounces a threefold judgment on Adam and Eve. Verses 16 through 19. First of all, he announces to them they will die. They would have lived forever, but now they've been infected with this disease called sin. And physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, they will die. Spiritually, they've already died. Physically, mentally, emotionally, they will die. Death has entered the world. Secondly, Adam, who up to now has not had to work unless he wanted to, now will have to work to provide for his family. He's going to understand what hard work is. He's going to understand what sweat on the brow was going to be. He's going to understand what it's like to get up at 6 in the morning and work to 6 at night or longer. He's going to understand work. And Eve, she's going to understand the pain of giving birth to children. Because children are going to come. And those children that she brings into the world are going to come at a mighty painful way. And those children, as they get out of the womb and start to grow up in this world, are also going to cause her pain as they break her heart with things they will say and do. Every mother understands that. The sentence has been cast. Death, work, and the pain of bringing children into the world and raising them. Blood, toil, tears, and sweat is what God promises Adam and Eve and then death. Now, you're still thinking to yourself, Pastor, that's a wonderful supposition of Genesis 3. I understand it. But pastor, what does that have to do with what's going on now? What does that have to do with the fact that Christmas is 29 days away? I'm glad you asked that. Because in about 10 minutes, I'm going to wrap all this up and you're going to walk out of here saying hallelujah. I'm going to put you on shouting ground. Because right now, some of you are kind of going, oh, woe's me, woe's me. Look at verse 15, because I purposely omitted it in all that I just talked about, although we read it earlier. Verse 15 is a prophetic announcement by the Lord God, the God of prophecy, the God who says and then the God who does. He makes an announcement for the entire world of that day and for the entire world of ours today. He talks about something that that is going to happen. In fact, is happening and soon will be over. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He's speaking to the serpent specifically. It shall bruise thy head and you shall bruise his heel. Three prophecies come out of verse 15 that that help us understand what we're facing today. First of all, God announces that there will now be a war that will take place. 
there will be a war that is going to begin in Genesis 3, verse 15. It's going to be a war from the Lord Jesus Christ and the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ versus Satan and the followers of Satan. Light is now going to clash with darkness. Life is now going to clash with 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 uh, dark with li- life is going to clash with death. Hope is going to clash with despair. Heaven is going to clash with hell. There is now going to be a war that's going to take place between good and and bad, between righteousness and wickedness, between the Son of God and the devil. That word enmity means warfare. Warfare. And the seed of both are going to be involved. It's not just going to be Eve versus the devil. It's going to be the seed of Eve, which would include the Son of the living God, Jesus Christ, and all those who believe and receive Him as Savior. And Satan and his seed, which would be all those who will choose to follow Him and serve Him. A war is about to begin. May I say the war is still continuing. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost And those who follow Jesus are all about life. Satan comes to lie and to murder, to deceive and destroy. And everybody who follows Satan is all about death. And do you understand now, there is a war that's been taking place for almost 6,000 years. And we're seeing that war more visibly than we've ever seen it before. Secondly, verse 15 tells us there will be times in this war where we look like we're going to lose some battles. The people of God, those who believe and receive Jesus as their Savior, those who are following the Lamb of God, there's going to be times when it looks like we're not doing well where it looks like we're going to lose. We're going to have our doubts. We're going to have our disillusionments. We're going to have our despair. We're going to ask ourselves the question, are we on the winning side? Is the Lord really going to win? Because this world just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. That's what the prophecy means when it says that Satan would bruise the heel of Christ and his followers. Have you ever had somebody hit you with a baseball bat on the heel? May I say to you, it will not kill you. You might wish you died, but it will not kill you. But it will leave you with a limp. You look like Chester on Gunsmoke. I had to do it on this side. I did it on the other side, the first service. Put my back, my hip back in place. But anyway, the prophecy says Satan and his cronies are going to hit the Lord Jesus and his followers with a baseball bat on their heel. There's going to be times when they're going to hurt. There's going to be times when they feel like they're not going to make it. 
the King Herods of this world, the Adolf Hitlers of this world, the Joseph Stalins of this world, the Ted Bundys of this world, the Jeffrey Dahmers of this world, the Pontius Pilots of this world, the Paul Potts of this world, the Bin Ladens of this world, the crazed killers, the madman murderers, the, 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 the phony religious leaders, the corrupt politicians, the serial rapists. We're going to be overwhelmed by them. And we're going to wonder, are we going to make it? Remember, we've been bruised on the what? The heel. We're going to make it. Because the prophecy says there's something else that's going to occur. Though the followers of Christ and Christ himself will be bruised on the heel, we're going to also do some bruising. Our Savior is going to bruise Satan on the head. Remember that baseball bat, that Louisville slugger? Let me whack you upside the head with it. You won't limp, will you? <laughs> You'll be dead. He's going to hit us in the heel and it'll hurt. Our Savior is going to crush his head. And kill him. In other words, we're going to win. May I say to you, Satan's head was crushed at Calvary. And it will be finally crushed once and for all and forever. At the battle of Armageddon. When Satan and his crowd will face the Lord Jesus and his crowd. But who's going to win this thing? The war is going to come to an end. This is the climatic battle. 666 versus 777. Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet versus the Lord God Himself, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. The forces of evil versus the righteous saints of God. And this battle will last one second. <laughs> you blink an eye, you'll miss it. Because he will speak the word, Jesus, and it's over. We win! 1 John 3, 8, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and he shall. What we're seeing, ladies and gentlemen, I'm closing, as we're seeing the final battles transpiring before the final battle. We're seeing this war that's been going on for 6,000 years. Admittedly, sometimes it looks like we're losing. I'm telling you, we haven't lost. We're winning. And all this carnage and casualties by Satan is the act of a desperate one who's losing and he just doesn't know how to handle it. His Waterloo is coming. Question is now, 29 days from Christmas, are you a believer and a follower, not of baby Jesus in the cradle, but the Lord Jesus who wears a crown? Because he is coming again. What side are you on? There's a line that's been drawn. What side are you on?
Have you believed in the Lord? Have you received Him as your personal Savior? Believed Him in the head? Received Him into your heart? Have you decided to follow Jesus? No turning back, no turning back. Or have you neglected to do that? Or rejected that? Are you following the devil? You say, Pastor, I'm not following anybody. I've never made the choice. If you haven't made the choice, you've already made it. Because Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're what? Against me. There's no neutrality. You can't stay in the middle. You either believe and receive, or you do not believe and you do not receive. And the choice is yours. The baby that was born at Bethlehem. He was alive in the day of Adam and Eve. And he's alive right now. And what will you do with him? I like what Joshua said. As for me and my family, we'll serve the Lord. You choose this day who you're going to serve, but as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord Jesus. Heads are bowed and eyes are bowed.